Well, we will dismiss our children this morning to Kids Church. We'll dismiss our moms to Kids Church this morning. Uh, I'm not, I mean, our... <laughs> dismiss our kids to Kids Church. <clears throat> As they go have church, we'll have adult care in here. Uh, so... Yes, ma'am, absolutely. Amen. Amen. The Lord is our providence. He is our support. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Well said. Well said. Well, as our kids are being dismissed, dismissed I want to call your attention to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to continue our study, our walk through Philippians chapter 4. Last week we, we talked about the war of anxiety and the war of our minds. And, and as I preached through Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known unto God. The peace of God which guards our heart will guard our hearts and minds. Uh, peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. As I preached to those verses, we, we heard the words of Paul and he said, don't be anxious. Don't worry. And we understand that that is so much easier said than done. And so today we're going to follow up on that and we're going to talk about the war that is waging in our minds. And so I pray that whenever we leave today, that we will submit our minds unto Christ, that we will take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Paul spends these verses encouraging us to do battle against anxiety, to do battle against worry, do battle against depression by depending upon God's Word, by acknowledging our dependence upon Him, by, by submitting that we can do nothing and that everything must be by prayer and supplication and that we have to depend upon God and then Paul says, but think on these things. And so if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 6 through 9. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. Let's pray. God, as we see your encouragement through your word this morning, Lord, may we... May we indeed understand that we are not passive when it comes to warring in our minds and in our thought life. Lord, may we be active. May we think on that which is true and right. May we be conformed into the image of Christ. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Well, if we read Paul's wonderful book of Romans... In chapter 12, we get one of the more famous passages in the book of Romans. He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, 
Paul says, I beg you, brethren, I beseech you, some of your versions may say. The idea is that Paul has spent 11 chapters unpacking the gospel in the book of Romans. And as he spends 11 chapters unpacking the gospel, he says, now, brethren, now that you have received the gospel, I beg you by the mercies of God. I've just presented to you all the mercies of God. I've just presented to you the gospel. Now I am begging you, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God and which is your spiritual act of worship. And now verse two tells us how we're going to do that. He says, we're not going to be conformed to the image of this world, but we're going to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind so that we may prove That which is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so, in order to be whom God has called us to be, in order to be, in order to conform our bodies to the image of Christ, not the image of this world, it starts by renewing our mind. How many of us know that our minds are unbelievably powerful? And, and, but, but you're, you're sitting out there, you're saying, not mine, preacher. Apparently, apparently you don't know me as well as you think you do. Our minds are unbelievably powerful and they can cause physical symptoms. I have a clip that I'd like for us to watch. A very short clip. I think you'll get a kick out of this. Oh, you got to start over. You got to volume up. Hold on. Hold on. We're working on it. Technical difficulties. Straight. Is he ever going to be able to walk again? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought someone had told you. He's fine. He found that wheelchair in the hallway. His paralysis is entirely psychosomatic. But we all need to go along with this because he's in a delicate state. So when you say psychosomatic, you mean like he could start a fire with his thoughts? No, not at all. It means it's all in his mind. I'm just saying, sometimes you get a knock on the head, you get special powers. It happens all the time. Read a comic book, okay? (laughs) This is, this is a, a cheesy, funny clip. Uh, you know, Will Ferrell is in a wheelchair because he got in an accident and he thinks he's paralyzed. And, and that's, that's obviously an extreme and they're making fun of it. But, but our minds have the ability to give us physiological symptoms. Do you know that someone suffering with depression or anxiety can cause the, the, the mental fatigue of constantly dealing with anxiety and stress and, and depression, can cause an increased heart rate, can cause fatigue, can cause legitimate physiological gastro gastro GI problems. It can lower our immune system. It can affect our libido. It can cause physical pain in our joints and in our muscles. It can cause headaches, even migraines. It can cause elevated blood pressure. And it doesn't mean that, that oh, well, just quit being depressed, quit being anxious, and your blood pressure will go down. No, it has physiological responses in our bodies that, that if, not treated, if not treated appropriately, can cause long-term damaging results to our body because our minds are unbelievably powerful, and God created us with a mind that has that power and that has that ability. 
The mind is an unbelievable organ that scientists are just now beginning to scratch the surface and doctors are just now beginning to scratch the surface on what the ability, what our minds are able to do. And Paul understood this. He said, if you want to transform your life, you have to start by renewing your mind. Our minds are, are, unbelievably, are unbelievably powerful. And it's interesting, all behavior begins with a thought. All behavior begins with our mind. Our thought process, our thought pattern must change long before the behavior changes. I'm going to remind remind you of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he gives a, it is a, a treatise, it is a, uh, a exposition on the rabbinic teachings of the law. And Jesus has said, he, he begins the Sermon on the Mountain, he says, uh, we have the Beatitudes, and, and we have, uh, Jesus said, blessed are those, blessed are those who, are, who, are, who mourn, blessed are those who, who, uh, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We get all the blesseds. And then Jesus goes into, at the end of chapter 5, he goes into a exposition on what we have been taught. And he says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. This is Jesus saying, I am the authority. And the rabbinic teaching, the the teachings that you have been taught say one thing. But what I am telling you is that much more important. So he says in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you have heard it said, everyone who commits murder, everyone who commits murder. And then he goes into, he says, but I say unto you. If you're angry with your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. Jesus is elevating the standard of the law, not to our actions, but to our thought life. He's saying it's not about the behavior, it's about your thought life, because Jesus understood that the behavior follows the thought, that the thought is the, the, where the, the sin began. Before Adam and Eve ever ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the thought process was there whenever whenever the enemy said, the moment you eat from this, you will be like God. All of a sudden, that thought said, I can be like God. Pride, arrogance enters their heart. Matthew, in in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say unto you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Jesus said, it's not about the behavior, it's about the thought, because long before our behavior changes, our thought has to change. Do you realize that in thousands and thousands of years of history, slavery was a common, acceptable practice. Every culture throughout history, whether you're talking about the ancient Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Mesopotamians, or whether you're talking about the Romans or the Persians, or whether you're talking about medieval times, or whether you're talking about more recent history with the Americans and coming over and colonizing this uh, this land, slavery has been a part of our society from its inception. And it wasn't until Thomas Jefferson and the founding fathers of the United States said, we believe that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Whenever they said all men 
are created equal, all of a sudden that began to change the process of thinking. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, this, now, interestingly enough, the Declaration of Independence was written in 1776. The abolition of slavery didn't take place until after the Civil War. So it was almost a hundred years where the thought process, before the thought processes were changed, that eventually changed the behavior. But do you see the pattern? The thought process has to change first. The thinking has to change first. Then the behavior will follow. It's interesting that whenever Jesus presents the gospel in the book of Mark, as he begins the gospel of Mark, he says, this is the gospel. You must repent and believe. The word, the word repent is metaneo. I've said this before. I'm going to say it about a million times more if you continue to come and listen to me preach. Because repentance repentance, we've heard preachers say, means to turn. Repentance does not mean to turn. Any pastor, any preacher that tells you repentance means to turn is not understanding the text. Metaneo comes from two Greek words. One meaning meta, which is to change. The other gnosis, which is knowledge or thought. And so the word metaneo, repent, means change the way that you think. Why? Because behavior follows thought. The thought comes first, the mind comes first, and then the behavior follows. So what Jesus is saying is change the way you think, change the way you understand things, change your thought process, and follow me. The only way for us to follow Jesus is to repent, is to change the way that we think, to quit thinking that we are the center of the universe and submit our lives unto him. Metaneo, we must repent, must change the way that we think. So, How do we battle anxiety? How do we battle stress? How do we battle depression? We have to change the way that we think. It's a war of the mind. The thought pattern must change. If any of us have competed in sports, they tell you when you're sitting at the tee box, visualize that tee shot going straight. They tell you when you're sitting in the batter's box, visualize hitting the baseball. They tell you when you're at the free throw line, visualize that ball going in the hoop. I visualized all I wanted. It didn't happen. My, the, 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 the mind was there. It's, it's the muscles that didn't follow. But the, the, the premise is the same. We have, to, we have to accomplish it first in our brains and in our minds and the behavior will follow. So, how do we deal with anxiety? First of all, it is a battle of the minds and we have to understand this. So many times in our lives, we are conditioned to believe that what we think about, our thoughts, are inevitable. And we become passive Passive observers, passive, passive participants in our thought life. And to a degree, we cannot control what enters our brains. But we can absolutely control what happens after those thoughts enter our brains. And that's where Paul is calling us as believers to wage war with our thoughts. To battle our thoughts. And so what does Paul say? Let's go to the text. In verse 8, 
Now, he's already told us, don't be anxious. He said, we must, by prayer and submission to God, acknowledge, thanksgiving to God, acknowledge our dependence upon Him. He's saying, constantly have an attitude of gratitude, be thanksgiving. And when we have an attitude of gratitude and when we continue to list all the things that God has done and God continues to do for us, all of a sudden being anxious about that which he hasn't done yet or, or is yet to do becomes less important to us. So he said, acknowledge, pray, acknowledge your dependence upon God, be thankful for what God has done. And then in verse 8, he tells us, he said, finally, brethren, whatever is true, Think on these things because our sinful nature and the enemy is going to call us to think on and believe on those things that are not true. Those things that are a lie. How many of us have heard in our own brain, by our own emotions, the, the, the thought that we're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. We're not, we, we're, that, that somehow we don't measure up. I know I do. We were talking this week, uh, uh, we had a, my daughter had a volleyball uh, scrimmage. And, and so they invited all the parents to come and play volleyball with the kids. And so it, it was, it, we had a great time. We had a great time. And then my kids, afterwards, my daughter called me a tryhard. And, and I said, I said, I said, I said, what is a try hard? She goes, you know, dad, somebody who tries way too hard all the time. And, and, and I was like, well, you know, I, I guess, I guess I'm guilty. Uh, but, but I, I get it honest. Uh, whenever my dad, uh, whenever my dad was playing, uh, I will never forget. We were playing a softball game, uh, a church softball game. He was like 50 years old and, and we were playing and, and, I put dad, I asked dad uh, if he'd play third base. And for those of you who know my dad, and Keith's sitting over there, he remembers playing ball with dad. We're, well, softball field, and from home plate to third base is only like 60 feet. And dad, instead of playing behind the bag where any normal, rational human being is going to play when a grown man is standing 60 feet from you, hitting a ball, you know, with a, a metal bat, and, and you know that, you know, you're going to eat this ball in just a few seconds. Well, no, dad is, is in front of the bag about 15 feet. And he is, so he's 40 feet from this guy, and he is sucking up everything. Anything that's even remotely close, he's sucking it up and throwing it over to first base. And, and I was like, at 50 years old, oh my goodness. Well, I go over to his house the other, uh, the day after, his knees are about this big around. And he says, if you ever ask me to play softball again, he goes, I'm going to kill you. And, and, and I said, well, you didn't have to play like that. And he said, yeah, I did. There, there's only one, there's only one, one volume I know, and that's wide open. There's only one speed I know. And, and so I get that. Because I'm the exact same way. When we go out there and we play turkey bowl, there's a reason why I go home and hobble around for a month because I don't know how to just go out there and have fun. Because I am constantly trying to, to fix and trying to fill this, this, this emotional place in my brain that tells me I'm not good enough. And so I have to try hard and I have to give everything I have to everything that I do because the enemy tells me that I'm not good enough, I'm not fast enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough. And so I battle these, these, these thoughts in my brain. 
And we have to battle them with the truth of God's Word. And the truth of God's Word says that my value has nothing to do with who I am and has everything to do with who Jesus is. That God said, I love you not because of who you are, but because you are mine. I love you because of who Christ is and what he has done. That he has imputed his righteousness to you and that he has taken away your sin and you are mine. And so whenever these wars and these lies come into our brain, we must do war. And the way we do war is we think on the truth. And whenever God's word tells us, It is true. It is true. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer says, Lord, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Young people, do you realize that there is a standard which is absolute truth and it is found in God's word? This world tells you that we live in a relativistic society and that there is no absolute right and absolute wrong. And I am telling you that is absolutely wrong. There is truth. And the truth is God's word. And our emotions and our mind lies to us. And so we must do war against those lies. And when those lies enter our brains, we must do what God's word tells us to do. And in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says that we should take every thought captive. And when those thoughts come into our brain that tells us that we're not good enough or that we're not strong enough or we're not fast enough or we're not brave enough or whatever the lie that the enemy feeds you, that you're not loved, that you're not cherished, that you have no value, whatever those lies are, those are lies that are from the pit of hell and the scripture tells us the truth of God is that we are loved because he loved us. The truth of God tells us that we have value because He gives us value. Think on these things. Think on that which is true. God's Word is true. We must do battle with our minds. When thoughts enter our minds, we must actively take control and redeem them. There is truth. We must hear and meditate on the truth. We must contrast the lies of the enemy with the truth of Scripture. Then Paul goes on to say, he says, whatever things is true, whatever is honorable, right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell upon these things. The world that we live in is indeed fallen, church, but it is not, it is not altogether corrupt. There are evidences of grace in every aspect of our lives. Whenever we see art, whenever we hear music, whenever we watch our kids play sports, whenever we're going to go home today and you're going (coughs) to eat lunch and barbecue with your your moms or, or go out to eat or whatever you do, Just because we live in a fallen world, there are things that are good and there are things that are right and there are things that are honorable and of good repute. And we can think on these things. And whenever the world tells us that that your family put the fun in dysfunction, you can say, you know what? You're absolutely right. But I have yet to meet a family that is not dysfunctional. 
And while there is while there is crazy in every family, there are also evidences of grace in every family. Love, care, compassion, providence. And instead of when 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 we're thinking about our family and the enemy is telling us all of these all of these lies, let us think on that which is good. That which is of good repute, that which is praiseworthy. Let us not allow the enemy to steal our joy. But let us wage war with our minds. And when the enemy feeds us lies, let us combat it with the truth of God's word. That he has given us evidences of grace and that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We must understand that the enemy desires to steal your joy. And the way he does that is through your mind, through your thought life. He is going to, to try and, and pervert and twist and, and manipulate those thoughts. But as believers in Christ, we can wage war on him. All creation. And the things in this earth have a redeeming quality and evidences of grace. It's interesting. At the end of verse 8, Paul says, Think on these things. Wage war with your mind. Think on this. Think on this. Think on that which is pure, not that which is unpure. Think on that which is honorable, not that which is dishonorable. Think on that which is true, not that which is false. It's this contrast of, it's this, this active engagement of our mind. And then he says... Verse 9, the things you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things. Remember I told you thought is the beginning of behavior. Behavior follows our thought life. Interestingly enough, here we have Paul in chapter 9 commanding our behavior, while in chapter 8 he deals with our thought life. Why? Because our thought life happens first. You want to do what's right? You can't wait until the opportunity comes to do what's right. You have to begin to think on good things, think on pure things, think on right things in order for the behavior to follow. So many times we want to to do what's right. Well, long before we do what's right, long before we parent and father and wife and husband like we ought to, we have to first think right thoughts. The behavior cannot be where we start. Mom and dad, how do we train our children? Not by training behavior. That's how you train a puppy. You start by training the mind. Doing war with the mind. Be conformed to the image of Christ. How? By the renewing of your mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Guys, our thoughts are not passive. We have to be active with our thoughts. Then we follow the example that God gives us. And Paul says, when we do, the peace of God will be with us. What is the peace of God? His presence. Now, I want to conclude with this. There's your blueprint. Go home. Don't be anxious. Okay. Don't worry. Okay. (coughs) Take every thought captive. Okay. And you're going to go home. 
And you're going to get in a fight with your spouse or you're going to be frustrated with your children. And these, these, these thoughts that the enemy gives you, you're going to go home tonight and you're going to hear the thought that's in your brain that I, I, I failed as a mother, I failed as a father, I failed as a husband, I failed as a wife, I, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. <coughs> and we must, at that moment, combat the lies of the enemy with the truth of the gospel. And here's the truth of the gospel. In our struggle with sin, in our struggle with depression, in our struggle with anxiety, in our struggle with whatever it is we struggle with, we will fail. We will fail infinitely more times than we will succeed. How do I know this? Because I am living proof that we will fail infinitely more times than we will succeed. But that in no way changes the truth that God loves us. And He loves us not because we succeed. He loves us not because we are holy. He loves us not because we've accepted Jesus into our heart. He loves us because we are His. Because we are His children. Because He has bought us and paid for us with the blood of His own Son. He loves us because of who He is, not because of who we are. We are loved. We are the recipients of grace. And when we struggle with sin and we fail, we must hear the truth of God's Word that God loves us in our failures. I want to leave you with one final verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. It says that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God. That God loves us in our failures. You will fail. You will struggle. And tomorrow morning, whenever you wake up and those thoughts enter your brain that you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not fast enough, you're not smart enough, you're not loved, you're not cared for, whatever it may be, do battle tomorrow. Wage war with your thoughts. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And when you fail, that next thought that comes into your mind, take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And when you fail, remember the cross of Christ. Remember the grace that is in you. It's interesting. As Jesus met with His disciples after the resurrection... He asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Every time Peter said, yes, Lord, I know you love me. The last time, Peter realized why he asked him three times. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. Jesus knew Peter was going to fail time and time again. Yet he stretched out his arms and shed his red, rich, royal blood for a sinner such as I. When we fail, remember the cross. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your cross. That it says... 
to me. I don't have to earn your favor. I don't have to be good enough because Jesus was. Lord, as I strive to be active in my thought life, to do war with the enemy, may you empower me with your Holy Spirit. May you remind me daily, hourly, that in order in order to be conformed into the image of Christ, in order for my behavior to model Christ and to honor Christ, I must first take charge of my thought life. Or may we take every thought captive and make it obedient. May we renew our mind with the things of God's word. May we combat the lies of the enemy with the truth of your word. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard my heart and my mind. There are some of you out there this morning who have bought into the lies of the devil, the lies of the enemy. You've even been taught by preachers that you're a dirty sinner. I'm here to tell you that the gospel says different. The gospel says that you are a child of the living God, that you are an heir to the throne, that you are adopted as sons of God. And we can cry out to Him, Abba, Father. We can crawl up into His arms. And we can wrap our arms around him and we can have him wrap his arms around us and we can hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. Maybe this morning, you simply need to reside, to live, to camp out in the grace that is in Christ. Maybe this morning you need to realize that I'm, my thought life is not passive, that I need to be active in my thought life. Maybe this morning God's calling you to a deeper level of commitment. Maybe He's calling you to become a member here at Redeemer. Maybe He's calling you to follow the Lord by being baptized. During this time of invitation, on this special Mother's Day, what a better day to make a decision than today. God, may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts here this morning. In Jesus' name.